Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, this morning, I just want to kind of jump right in uh, to this message. I am so excited about uh, today and honestly the next couple of weeks because we're going to look at some really incredible, incredible stories. And I don't know about you, but one of the things I love is I love to just get lost in a good story like a, a good movie, a, even like a good series. Like, uh, I mean, all the Marvel movies were so much fun because you just knew that they couldn't happen, but like you just got lost in the story or a, a good book, right? Like it was fun to just find yourself just kind of tuning out your mind and just enjoying this unbelievably epic story. And I think that's, that's fun when it comes to fiction, but then when it comes to the things that we expect to be rooted in truth, like that can be problematic, right? I mean, we all have those family members that uh, we know their stories are just way too big, like they're way too good to be true, right? So we kind of push back on them like that uncle who has those epic fish stories, but like nobody's ever with him when he catches those fish, or in fact, nobody's ever even seen a photo of the fish. Or uh, we all have that friend, right, who has the legendary experiences only problem is like their legendary experiences always happen solo. And so you just hear the story and you're like, here it goes again. There she goes. It's going to be way too big. It's going to be way too funny. It's going to be way too unbelievable. There's not a chance this story could be true, right? And so we kind of keep them at arm's length and it kind of makes us a little jaded, a little skeptical. And, and then this, this other thing happens with stories that uh, is sometimes kind of interesting. Like these stories that start out true like they kind of take on a life of their own, right? And they, they, they start out in this place where you feel like, oh man, this is, this is one I can, can lean into. But over time, it just kind of grows into something way too big, you know, way too epic. It just takes on its own life. Like um, uh, Y2K did this, right? Like we were gonna have some small computer problems and then the next thing you know, like we all need bunkers and Jesus is coming back and like an assault rifle would be a good idea. Like it's all gonna break loose, right? Or, uh, or like uh, superfoods are this way. You know, if you eat enough superfoods, you'll become superhuman, right? And it's like this story that like it, it kind of started in this good place, but then it, it grew or uh, the, the legends of, around our founding fathers. This is another one where the stories have just kind of gone into something that you're like, what in the world? Like these, these incredible individuals all of a sudden over time have become perfect, flawless and individuals who cut down cherry trees and tell no lies and, and things like that, right? And it started in this good place, but like it just kind of kept growing and it kind of kept getting too big, too good, too unbelievable to be true. And so as adults, unless we're watching something that we absolutely know is fiction and that we're allowed to just kind of shut our brains off for a second and enjoy it, I think it causes us to kind of hold some of these stories at arm's length and it causes us to become pretty jaded individuals, especially when it comes to this book, right? Because let's be honest, if you were to just turn to any page in this book, uh, you would find one of the most unbelievable, one of the most way too big, like way too epic, way too miraculous, like probably way too gross, way too graphic, something like that story to be true, right? And so we approach this book it kind of arm's length. Like we're just rational human beings. We're jaded adults who have been around the block. And so we, we kind of go, I don't know, this feels like it, it might be one of those things that's way too good 
to be true. Or to complicate things, if it's not just way too good or way too big, you look at this and you open to a story and you go, this is old. Like it feels archaic. It feels barbaric. It feels outdated. It feels like it was written to somebody else. It's about somebody else. And so we, uh, we may not keep it at arm's length. We start to actually kind of ignore it. Or maybe you finally decided to lean in and you open to a story and you thought, okay, I'm gonna push past the dating of this thing. I'm gonna push past my adult skepticism. I'm gonna push past all of that and I'm actually gonna lean in. And you start reading this story. You start feeling like you're getting something out of it. And then comes along some well-meaning, well-intended follower of Jesus who tells you some super narrow, stifling interpretation of that story. You know, somebody like me, like this is like, hey, this is what this story means and it only means this. And, and you hear that and you're like, okay, if that's what it means, if it's that stifling, if it's that narrow, like if I got something out of it and now you're telling me I'm, I'm wrong, like now you're just like, hey, I think I'm gonna go back to ignoring it. In fact, it was already way too good to be true anyways. And it was already too old. So I think I'm just gonna go back to being my jaded, skeptical self. And I imagine a lot of you probably walk into a room like this or you tune in online and that's kind of your approach to this book. And if that is, I totally, totally get it. In fact, a lot of that skepticism and cynicism is well-deserved. But here's the problem. I feel like when we do that, and I feel like when we approach this book that way, we run the risk of missing out on some unbelievable things, things that really are true. We we run the risk of missing out on some really progressive, really enlightened ideas and ideals that, that we as people and we as a society still fall short of. Like there are some really old concepts outlined in here for how we should live or how we should treat one another or how society should be formed. And we still don't measure up. Like we still are not living up to those. And so here's the thing, I, I want better for us than that. And I don't know if you really care what I want for you or want for us or not, but I also think not only, and probably more importantly, do I want better for us than that. I actually think God in heaven wants better and wants more for us than that. I think he wants us to approach this book in a totally, totally different way. But, but in order to do that, I think we need to do a couple of things. First, I think we need to clear up some things and we're gonna try to tackle some of that in a few minutes. But then second, and this is probably gonna offend some of you, I, frankly, I think we need to grow up in some few things. Because here's my assumption. When it comes to the Bible, most of us were taught the Bible as children, right? Or if you weren't, maybe you're like me and you didn't grow up in church. You weren't taught the Bible as a child, but you were taught the Bible as an adult by another adult who was taught the Bible as a child. And so your first approach to the Bible was this childlike approach. And I think it's great to to take the Bible and, and take it to kids and help them understand it on their level. But at a certain point, we have to stop or start growing up and move past some like fairy tales and move past some folklore and really dig in and kind of figure out what's going on so that we don't miss out on some really important, enlightened, progressive ideas. And that's what this series is gonna be all about. We're gonna just kind of unpack some stuff and take a look at some pretty incredible stories. But to to do that, we we have to clear up some things first. So I've intentionally been calling this a book and I I wanna go ahead and clear up from the very beginning. Uh, This is not a book. In fact, this is way better than a book. Here's some things that I feel like you need to know. First of all, it's not a book. It's not a Christian book. It's actually 66 books, okay? And so like, I want you to think about this thing as an entire library. It's actually an entire library 
that's divided up into two different sections. And I feel like most of us are pretty familiar with this section. This is the, the New Testament. It's written by uh, just a couple of people. It's written over a very short period of time. Um, it's mainly concentrated around the time of Jesus's uh, birth, life, and death, right? And so we're super familiar with that, spend a lot of time there. And I think most of us can kind of get our minds around that. But um, I think this section, the Old Testament, the first section, is the part that we're not nearly as familiar with. Uh, first thing you need to understand is the Old Testament actually is 40 different authors, right? This is where we're going to spend a lot of time over the next couple of weeks. It's written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,200 years. So there's a ton of things going on here. But I think, again, we approach this, even this part of this library, we're willing to concede that, hey, maybe it's not a book, maybe it's a library. But we, we think, well, it's just a historical library or it's just a religious library. And actually, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, this isn't just a historical or religious library. I mean, this has got narrative in it. It's got poetry in it. It's got discourse in it. Some of the most unbelievable epic stories you have ever heard are contained in this, this early part of this library. I mean, there, there's stories about empire. There's stories about wealth. There's stories about fame. There's stories about treason and, and espionage and, and war. There's stories about crime and, and punishment. But there's also stories about love and kindness and grace and goodness and mercy. There, there's stories about sex. There's stories about finances. There, I mean, there's stories that every single one of us should want to read and should want to experience. I mean, there's so much packed into all of these stories into this library. In fact, you, you may have approached this library and thought, well, I have, to, I have to be a Christian to read this library. And again, nothing could be further from the truth. You don't have to be a Christian to approach this library. I mean, this is like a, a, a bookstore and it's not a Lifeway Christian bookstore. I mean, this is like a, like a Barnes and Noble or an Amazon. Like literally every single person can approach this library. And just like you would with, you know, you get online at Amazon or you walk into a bookstore, right? There's, there's different sections and there's different shelves. And within each section, there's, there's subsections, right? And depending on what you're experiencing in life at that moment or, or what you're going through in your life, you go to the section that you need and you pick out the author that you've heard of, or you pick out the title that seems like it's going to address your need, right? And, and based on where you are is what you expect to get out of that resource that you pulled out. That, that's what this is. And what's amazing is that as we start to dig into these stories, we find out that not only do we not have to believe in God to approach these libraries, but, but, but a lot of people on the pages didn't even believe in God. In fact, we're going to read some stories over the next couple of weeks that are, that are going to kind of make your head spin because the, the people are really wrestling with, is this God who he says he is? Is he worth following? Should, should I pursue this God? Is he, is he for me? But here's the thing I want us to, to not miss and probably the most important thing out of all of those things that I feel like we need to clear up. Throughout history, up until this point, Nothing was ever written down. Like nobody ever took the time to write down the stories that made up their civilization or, or their culture. But all of a sudden, a group of people did. Like all of a sudden, a group of people took the time, probably at great cost to themselves. I mean, there was no printing press, no internet, no paper, nothing like that. So they had to figure out how to do this, right? But not only great financial costs, probably great you know, personal costs at great risk because they were a nomadic people. And now all of a sudden they had to slow down long enough to figure out how to write something down. And I think we need to pay attention to that, that all of a sudden something happened that was so significant that someone 
finally wrote something down. And I think what we need to pay attention to as we wrestle with this question is this something that happened must have been so transformative, so unbelievable, so earth shattering that they felt like this needed to be communicated in a way that people would never forget it. And ultimately, if we don't pay attention to why these stories were written down or why it was written, we really miss and we ultimately miss what they're trying to say. And these are two things that I want us to come back to over and over and over and over again throughout these series. And these are two questions that I want us to get really good at asking as we begin our own personal journeys of reading through some of these stories in this library. I want us to ask questions like, why? Why was this written down? Why was this important? Why did, why did somebody decide that this event needed to be recorded? What in the world is going on here? And what in the world is it trying to say to me or to us today, okay? And so as we think about those questions and as we think about these, these kind of big why questions or, or what questions and we try to really get underneath what's happening, what does that mean when we approach a story like this one? What does it mean when we approach a story like Noah's Ark, a story that many of us are, are probably familiar with, a story that on the surface level, maybe if you were taught this story as a child, you thought was simply about cute, fuzzy little animals all piling into this unbelievably large boat to go on this epic adventure, right? So what do we, what do, we do with a story like that? Now, if you weren't familiar with this story, let me kind of catch you up so that we can all kind of start at the same place. This story that we're going to look at today is found in the very first book of this library we've been talking about. It's found in a book that we call Genesis. It's one of the oldest uh, recorded documents that we have, all right? And this book, Genesis, outlines how everything kind of came to be. It's literally the first introduction to this God, right? To this new God that, that we need to kind of understand. And so like every good story, it starts at the beginning, the book starts with the creation story. How did this God put everything together? Well, what you need to know about this story is this story, Noah's Ark story, is a story about God wanting to undo that. And what I think is most important about this story is that we're only six chapters into this book and God's already frustrated. He's so frustrated that he wants to undo his whole creation, all right? He wants to destroy everything. And so let's jump into this story and let's try to figure out what exactly is going on, why it's important, why it matters, and what it means to us today. So here's how the story goes. It says, the Lord observed, and this is God, we usually use that name. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or everything that they imagined was consistently and totally evil. So God's kind of frustrated with mankind. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them, and he was sorry that he had put them on the earth. In fact, it, it broke his heart. And here's what I think is so significant about these opening you know, kind of verses about this story that I want us to really pay attention to and really kind of get our minds around is something was happening that broke God's heart. Something was happening that impacted the way God thought when he thought about mankind, that impacted the way God felt when he felt about mankind. And we're going to kind of figure out what that is. So it broke his heart. The story continues, but Noah, this is kind of that main character we've been talking about, but Noah did something interesting. He found favor with the Lord, which again, I, I see a word like this and I have to ask myself, what in the world made Noah stand apart? Like how did Noah find favor if, if God was so frustrated with everybody and he was understanding that mankind wasn't worth preserving, how in the world did this one guy stand out? Well, the author tells us Noah 
was a righteous man. He was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. And I think we read a verse like this, or maybe you grew up with the understanding, you've heard it talked about before, that what set Noah apart was his righteousness or his blamelessness. It was his behavior. God was pleased with the way Noah behaved. But I want you to see something. What God was pleased with and what caused Noah to find favor with God was that he walked in close fellowship with God. So what does that mean for us today? How do we kind of wrap our minds around that? And the, the thing I would want you to understand about these opening you know, a few verses about this story is that ultimately what set Noah apart was what Noah thought about when he thought about God. In other words, Noah's righteousness and Noah's blamelessness were not the result of anything other than his proximity to God. Noah's righteousness and Noah's blamelessness were a byproduct to his relationship with God. Ultimately, the most significant thing about these opening few passages is this idea that Noah mattered to God, but ultimately God mattered to Noah. And what set Noah apart and what allowed God to have favor on Noah was this idea that they had this uh, like walk together. They had this personal, intimate relationship together, which wasn't true of everybody else, which wasn't true of how everybody else reacted. How is it true how everybody else lived? And if you know the, the story, you kind of know how the rest of the story is gonna unfold. I mean, basically, if you were to go back to the, to the very beginning to that creation story, you would see a world that was completely void of life it was completely void of form. There was no land. It was just water. It was just darkness. It was just, it was just chaos. And God spoke things into creation. And basically the flood story or Noah's Ark stories, you might've heard it, is basically the decreation of that world. God looks down, he's frustrated. And he basically over a period of time, he decreates everything and he returns the world exactly the way he started it, which was completely void of life. And there was just water and there was just darkness and there was just chaos. But the, the difference this time, is that God does something different. The difference this time is God takes Noah and his family and he takes the animals and he packs them into this boat and he carries them to this new beginning that's gonna be filled with hope. It's gonna be filled with joy and it's gonna be filled with life, right? And you hear it and that's where the story typically stops. But if you're like most people, you're like, wait a minute, this is still a story about destruction. Like, mankind, humanity got wiped out. Like God got mad and he lost his temper and he wiped out everything. So how in the world can this story, like a, a flood destruction story, be anything or say anything good about God? And if that's where you are, like I, I totally get it. And I wanna kind of dig into some of that because here's what I think we need to understand is that this story, when we read it, it seems crazy to us, Right? Like we hear this story and we think, well, this is a destruction story. This is a flood story. This is about God getting mad and wiping people out. But that's because we're reading the story through our lens. We're reading the story trying to see where we are in the story. But we have to remember while this story seems crazy to us, this story was written about them and it was written then. So it was about them and it was written then. And what we don't necessarily understand is that a flood story a destruction story by a God was not anything that would have bothered these people. In fact, they would be bored right now in this point of the story because what we know through the ability to look back in time is that flood stories were a very common story throughout ancient civilizations. In fact, we now know that Israel's flood story, which is what we're reading, isn't even the oldest recorded flood story. So for them, they would have heard this and they would have gone, move on, 
Just another God. Remember, this is a polytheistic society, right? So they have all kinds of gods floating out there in their minds, right? And so for them, they're like, yeah, whatever. This is just another God. No big deal. Nothing to see here. Like, keep moving on. But then this story kind of starts to turn. And we're going to look at this in just a moment. But this story does something that must have seemed so strange to them, that must have seemed so bizarre to them. This story does something that must have amazed them. Because what's incredible about these stories is that even though they're about them and that they're ultimately about them, they speak to us now to change the way we think and that we feel about everything. And the thing I would want us to get our minds around is while this may seem crazy to us, it wasn't crazy to them until what we're about to read, and it would have amazed them. And as much as what we're about to read would have amazed them, I hope it amazes us, and I hope it changes the way we think and we feel about everything. Because the story continues, and the story goes on like this. It says, but God remembered Noah. Now, again, that's a phrase we read right past. We're like, yeah, God thought about Noah. He remembered him. No, 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 no. If I did my math right, if I go through all of that account, This is about 371 days later. Noah and his family have been shut up in a boat with a whole bunch of animals floating throughout darkness and chaos, and they are upset. I guarantee you there's a lot of family conflict by this point. And the most important thing is that God has not been speaking. God has been silent, and it feels like they did what they were supposed to do, and now all of a sudden it feels like they've been abandoned. And I don't know if you've ever gone through a season where you feel like God's not talking to you, but if you have, Noah's your guy, because he went over a year wondering, does God even know who I am? Does God remember me? And then all of a sudden, God remembered Noah. And he sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the the floodwaters began to recede, and at last the earth was dry. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And then God told Noah and his sons, now not only has God remembered Noah, but God is now talking to Noah. And so God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and with your descendants. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. It continues. Then God said, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to make sure you understand this. I'm going to give you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. He said, for I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all of life. Now, I don't know if you've picked up on it, but this is a word that we've now heard uh, at least three times. And this is such a significant word in this story. And again, it's, it's another word that I think we just hear and we blow by because we're, we're just not familiar with it. But, but it's, a, it's a legal word. Like it's actually a word that defined legally the concept of the relationship between two groups of people. It's a word in that culture that neighbors would use over property lines or that neighbors would use when referring to crops or sharing animals. It it defined how each person, each party in the relationship would treat one another and behave. And all of a sudden, this is where this story starts to do something different. All of a sudden, in this polytheistic society where they're, they're trying to get their minds around, is there a true God? Is there a real God? All of a sudden, this God, well, he's different. This God wants to have a relationship with me. And not only does he have a, want to have a relationship with me, but he wants to have a relationship with me that is based solely on him. Like the only requirements of the rules for this relationship, of the covenant of this relationship, were on God. Notice when, when God's outlining the promise, he doesn't say now, hey, by the way, this is your one like get out of jail free card. Like if you're not righteous and blameless next time, then 
it's, it's over. Like he says, no, 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 I'm never doing this again. I don't ever want this to be a thing. I want us to have a relationship. I don't want to wipe people out and I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to restrict myself. I'm a God that can do anything that I want whenever I want, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to treat you that way. And all of a sudden, these people that are hearing about this God would have realized something. All of a sudden, they would have gone, this God is, this God is different. This God doesn't sound like the other gods we've heard about. This doesn't sound like the other flood stories that we've heard about. This doesn't sound like the things that we're familiar with. This this story is different. This this God commits to, to living with people. This God commits to living with people in a completely new way, in a way in which life is preserved, in a way in which life is protected, and it's all done by him and because of him and through him, and it's done on our behalf, and it's done for us. Which brings us back to where we started. So we hear all of that, and we have to go back to the beginning and ask ourselves the question, why? Why did this story matter? Why did all of a sudden somebody say, this is important enough? We can't leave this to chance. This can't stay in the realm of of oral tradition. This has to move beyond just an oral thing that we pass down. And this has to become transcribed so that people don't miss it. Why did it endure? Why did they write it down? And ultimately, what is it trying to say to us today? So to to answer that, I want you to try to think about something. And I I know that you've had to think a lot this morning. We're going to think a lot over the next couple of weeks together. But try try to imagine this for just a second. Try to imagine you lived way back then, right? Like probably all you knew was about three square miles from the place you were born. Uh, There was no Google Earth. Uh, There were no satellite images. There was no Apple Maps. There was no way to kind of outline what was out there. You had never ventured more than about three miles from the place you were born. You found your spouse there. You find your job there. You raise your kids there. You grow your crops there. You make your money there. You were born there. You're going to die there. Like that's all you knew, right? Like you thought that's what life amounted to. And then one day, out of nowhere, right through your valley, this flash flood comes and wipes everything out literally wipes out everything you know. Every person you know, wipes out all of your crops, takes out all of your animals, destroys your livelihood, and absolutely ruins any hope for a future. If that were you, what do you think you would do? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things you would start to do, but ultimately you would get to the place where you started to look for causes. You would start to ask those why questions, like why did this happen? Well, in this ancient world that we're talking about and in which this story was written to, it was universally accepted that bad things were caused by frustrated gods. You see, these people never asked the question that we ask so much time, or we spend so much time asking. They never asked, why do bad things happen to good people? Because in their mind, there were no good people. There were just bad people. And when the people got bad enough, the frustrated gods did whatever they had to do to wipe out the frustrating people. That's just how life worked. I mean, they spent their entire life trying to appease the gods. They, they made sacrifices. They went out of their way. And if something bad happened, they would, okay, I guess we messed up. God did what God had to do. And now we got to do what we got to do. And we got to pick ourselves back up. And that's just how life works. But insert this story. And all of a sudden, this story is different. 
All of a sudden, this story is so unique. All of a sudden, this story doesn't make sense, and it's not because of a flood. I mean, all of a sudden, there's a, there's a family that's saved. That doesn't happen. All of a sudden, uh, uh, animals and creation is saved and, and preserved, and a new beginning is, is made possible. All of a sudden, a promise is made. All of a sudden, one of the gods promises to people that he wants something for them. You see, for that group of people, for the people in which this story was written, they would have gone, this isn't even a story about a flood, y'all. Like the flood, they would have moved past that so quick because that was so commonplace to them. They would have said, this story is about a God. This story is about a different kind of God. This story is about a God I want to know. You see, this story gives me the idea that God doesn't actually want to wipe people out. This story is important because this story helps us understand that ultimately God wants to invite people in. And not into rules and not into sacrifices and not into regulation, not even into religion. This God wants to invite people in to relationship, a relationship with him that is held together by him, that is as important to him as it is to us. And so sure, I get it. You approach this story and you, you think about it and you go, yeah, but it's just a, it's a primitive story. Like it's an old story. I don't, I don't know that I want to lean in, but I hope what you're hearing is that the, to dismiss this story is simply primitive or simply ancient is to completely miss the entire point of this story. The point of this story has nothing to do with destruction. It has nothing to do with a flood. It has nothing to do with scientific evidence. So on, on either side of like, could that be or could that not be? It doesn't have anything to do with animals or, or a boat. It actually has very little to do with Noah. The point of this story is that for the very first time, we're introduced to a kinder, more peaceful God whose intention for humanity is relationship with him, whose intention for humanity is good things for people. All of a sudden, we see this God in the, the most unlikely of places, in a place that looks like it's filled with chaos and destruction and demise. All of a sudden, we see a really good God who's making a really big point, who's standing out to a group of people who desperately needed to know that God was for them. Now, one last thought, and then once we wrap this up, we're going to uh, or Taylor's going to come back. He's going to sing a song and uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to get you guys out of here. But, but one last thought. I, I know some of you are sitting here this morning and uh, you're in that place and you're thinking, oh no, like I've been coming to this church for two years. Thankfully, they haven't talked about this story or other stories like it. And that's why I kind of can lean in because you're just kind of rolling your eyes and you're like, do people really believe this story is true? Like, are there really people out there who think this story is true? And, and if that's you, I... I totally get it. I want you to know, like, you can still attend here. We can still be a part of here. We really, really want you to. I, I totally get it. I get the cynicism. I get the skepticism around a story like this. And I, if I were being completely honest, I think it's largely due to the way stories like this one are told. I think it's largely due to people like me who get up on stages like this with a microphone strapped to their face. And we make this story say all kinds of things that this story was never really trying to say. We, we, we tell you that God's going to wipe you out if you're not righteous or blameless, or if you don't live a certain way, God's against you and he's going to punish you. And if that's the story you've heard about this story, I hope, I hope you're beginning to hear that nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, this story isn't about that at all. This story is about a God who wants to get to know you desperately and who desperately wants you to walk closely with him. And, but if that's you, if that's you, you're skeptical of this story and you're like, yeah, it's stories like this. This is why I don't have a faith 
Like I was good, I thought I could sit in the back, thought I could hide out at home online, and then you start talking about this. And you're saying, intensely, if I have to take the details or the specifics of this story literally, then I just don't know that I can have a faith. And if that's you, I want to speak directly to you for just a second this morning. And I want to try to free you from something. I don't personally believe that you have to attach your faith or your ability to have a faith to your ability to take every detail of a story like this one literally. Listen, if we spoke for hours, you could give me all the scientific reasons why this couldn't happen, why it did happen, why it didn't happen. You could take me to soil compaction tests and temperature levels in the Grand Canyon. And you could, listen, if you're here arguing all the specifics or scientifics of a story like this one, you're still missing the point of this story. Here's why I don't think you have to be able to take literally every detail of this story to, to have a faith or to believe that God is for you. It's because ultimately... This story, like the power of this story is that this story fits into the arc of the entire library of all the stories that are collected for us in this library. You see, where we're going and where this story ultimately lands is that this promise God made, this promise that is contingent upon him, he ultimately fulfills in a perfect way. You see, God is so serious about having a relationship with you that if you were to fast forward past this story, ultimately you're gonna read a story that we can verify, that we can have all kinds of confidence in. You're gonna read a story about a son who was born. The son of God came to earth to be our righteousness, to be our blamelessness. He, he laid down his life for us. He was literally buried in the ground. He, he rose his own life up from the grave so that we could have a full life, so that we could have an everlasting life, get this, so that we could have a perfect relationship with a father in heaven who wants to have a perfect relationship with us. So if you're here and you're hung up and your faith is hinging on your ability to take literally every detail of the story, let that go for just a second. Let that go for just a second because the, your faith should hinge on the confidence that this story points to the ultimate story of this entire library. And the point of this story is the same point of that story, that this God doesn't want to wipe people out. This God doesn't want to marginalize you. He doesn't want to cast you out. He doesn't want to wipe you out. He wants to invite you in. And he did that. He fulfilled that, not just in this story where it was alluded to, but in the ultimate story that is being told in this library by sending Jesus for you. This story The story survived because it was a major leap forward. That's why it was written. That's why somebody took the time. They said, hey, we can't trust this to oral tradition. We got to write this thing down. This story was a major leap forward in the way people understood or they thought about God. It changed the way people forever thought when they thought about God. And all of a sudden, it made them understand that maybe God thinks differently about me than I thought he did too. And if you're here and you're still hung up and you're like, I don't know, that doesn't answer all of my questions. I still have so many frustrations. I still have so many complications with these incredible stories like this. I I get it. And I just want to invite you to come back week after week because we're only in part one. And I promise by the end of the series, I hope to be able to kind of wrap all this up and help you kind of fully get your mind around it. But here's what I would hope would be true for now. Here's what I hope maybe you could walk away with for now. Maybe you could walk away understanding for the first time but this library is way better than you thought it was. It's worth reading. It's worth devouring. This library actually has something really powerful, really progressive, 
really enlightened to speak into your life is worth spending time with. And most importantly, maybe you would walk away for the first time understanding that the God who's spoken of on the pages of every page of this library and every story of this library is way better than you thought he was too. Maybe he's way different than you thought he was. Maybe, maybe he's worth leaning into. Maybe he's worth following. Maybe, get this, maybe he's not who you thought he was at all. Maybe you walk away from here today and you go, maybe I don't understand him. And you know what? I think that's probably a good thing. We'll pick up right there next Sunday with part two of this series. Let me pray for you. Father, you are so remarkable. You are so vast. You are so big. You really are bigger than we thought you were. You're certainly more unbelievable. God, you make room for the greatest skeptic, for the greatest cynic. You make room for the biggest fan. You make space for all of us because you love all of us just the way we are. Whether we see it in one of the very first oldest stories we ever have written down or whether we turn all the way to the end and look and see how the story wraps up, what we cannot miss is that you love us. You pursue us. You want to know us because we matter to you and you want to matter to us. So help us to lean in. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.